Environment Today is a podcast about the current state of our planet's environment and ways to contribute to the health and prosperity of our ecosystem. Content presented by Amy and James Sharp. I'm James Sharp. And I'm Amy Sharp. All information being discussed from today's report is from the 2019 refinement to the 2006 IPCC Guidelines for National Greenhouse Gas Inventories Report. It was prepared by the Task Force on National Greenhouse Gas Inventories, TFI, in accordance with the decision taken at the 44th session of IPCC in Bangkok, Thailand in October 2016. IPCC panel adoption and acceptance of this report occurred in May 2019. Environment Today's podcast will bring this and other current scientific reports on our environment to you every two weeks, putting these details into layman's terms as much as possible. You will receive a great deal more information than you would hear or read in short blurbs of daily news briefings. We want to bring you all the key facts in detail and then provide real-life solutions that you can implement after hearing the facts of each report. The original 2006 IPCC Guidelines for National Greenhouse Gas Inventories report provides a technically sound methodological basis of national greenhouse gas inventories, and therefore fundamental revision is unnecessary. However, To maintain the scientific validity of the 2006 IPCC guidelines, certain refinements may be required, taking into account scientific and other technical advances that have matured sufficiently since 2006. The overall aim of this 2019 refinement report is to provide an updated and sound scientific basis for supporting the preparation and continuous improvement of national greenhouse gas inventories. The 2019 refinement will not revise the 2006 IPCC guidelines, but update, supplement, and or elaborate the 2006 IPCC guidelines where gaps or out-of-date science have been identified. It will not replace the 2006 IPCC guidelines it should be used in conjunction with the 2006 IPCC guidelines. From this report, there were 328 nominations received from governments, observer organizations, and bureau members. 190 experts were selected as authors and review editors in accordance with the principles governing IPCC work. The latest list of authors and review editors for this report is available at ipcc.ch. Volume 4, An Overview of Greenhouse Gas Emissions and Removals The 2006 IPCC Guidelines and 2019 IPCC Refinement Report are designed to assist in estimating and reporting national inventories of anthropogenic greenhouse gas emissions and removals. This includes measurement of CO2 gases, as well as the non-CO2 gases of primary concern, which are methane, whose formula is CH4, 
and nitrous oxide, whose formula is N2O. Emissions of other nitrogenous gases include nitrogen dioxide, or NOx, and ammonia, or NH3, can serve as a source of subsequent N2O emissions, and hence referred to as indirect emission sources, are also considered. For the agriculture, forestry, and other land use, also known as AFOLU sector, anthropogenic greenhouse gas emissions and removals by sinks are defined as all those occurring on managed land. Managed land is land where human interventions and practices have been applied to perform production, ecological, or social functions. The IPCC describes this managed land proxy, or MLP, as an approach to approximate estimates of anthropogenic emissions and removals. But this proxy estimate also contains emissions and removals resulting from natural disturbances. Some of the emissions and removals from managed land are characterized by high interannual variability. Interannual variability, or IAV, refers to the variability in the annual emissions and removals estimates between years within a time series. In the AFOLU sector, the application of the managed land proxy means that interannual variability can be caused by both anthropogenic and natural causes. The three main causes of interannual variability in greenhouse gas emissions and removals in the AFOLU sector are number one, natural disturbances such as wildfires, insects, wind throw, and ice storms which can cause large, immediate, and delayed emissions and kill trees. Number two, climate variability, for example, temperature, precipitation, and drought, which affects photosynthesis and respiration. And number three, variation in the rate of human activities, including land use, such as forest harvesting and land use change. When the managed land proxy is used, and the interannual variability in emissions and removals due to natural disturbance is large, it is difficult to gain a quantitative understanding of the role of human activities compared to the impacts of natural effects. In such situations, disaggregating the MLP emissions and removals into human and natural effects may provide increased understanding and refined estimates of the emissions and removals that are due to human activities. Science Background Land use and management influence a variety of ecosystem processes that affect greenhouse gas fluxes such as photosynthesis, respiration, decomposition, nitrification, denitrification, enteric fermentation, and combustion. These processes involve transformations of carbon and nitrogen that are driven by biological processes such as activity of microorganisms, plants, and animals, and physical processes such as combustion, leaching, and runoff. The six land use categories for representation are forest land, cropland, grassland, wetlands, settlements, and other land. 
The next parameter that is part of this process is establishing a framework of tiers for AFOLU methods. Tier 1 methods are designed to be the simplest to use. Country-specific activity data are needed, but for Tier 1, there are often globally available sources of activity data estimates. For example, deforestation rates, agricultural production statistics, global land cover maps, fertilizer use, and livestock population data, although these data are usually spatially coarse. Tier 2 can use the same methodological approach as Tier 1, but applies emission and stock change factors that are based on country or region-specific data for the most important land use or livestock categories. Country-defined emission factors are more appropriate for the climatic regions, land use systems, and livestock categories in that country. Higher temporal and spatial resolution and more disaggregated activity data are typically used in Tier 2 to correspond with country-defined coefficients for specific regions and specialized land use or livestock categories. For a few source categories, methodologies are provided for estimating a country-specified emission and stocks change factor, for example, CH4 emissions from enteric fermentation. At Tier 3, Higher-order methods are used, such as process-based models and inventory measurement systems, tailored to address national circumstances, repeated over time, and driven by high-resolution activity data and disaggregated at sub-national levels. These higher-order methods provide estimates of greater certainty than lower tiers. Such systems may include comprehensive field sampling, repeated at regular time intervals, and or GIS-based systems of age, class production data, soils data, and land use and management activity data, integrating several types of monitoring. Pieces of land where a land use change occurs can usually be tracked over time, at least statistically. In most cases, these systems have a climate dependency and thus provide source estimates with interannual variability. Detailed disaggregation of livestock population according to animal type, age, body weight, etc. can be used. Models should undergo quality checks, audits, and validations and be thoroughly documented. A few definitions that you'll need to know that are part of the measurements. Biomass. Above-ground biomass includes all living vegetation, both woody and herbaceous, above the soil including stems, stumps, branches, bark, seeds, and foliage. Below-ground biomass includes all biomass of live roots greater than 2 millimeters in diameter. Dead organic matter. Dead wood includes all non-living woody biomass not contained in the litter, either standing, lying on the ground, or in the soil. Dead wood includes wood lying on the surface dead roots, and stumps larger than or equal to 10 centimeters in diameter. Litter. Litter includes all non-living biomass, with a size greater than the limit for soil organic matter, suggested 2 millimeters, and less than the minimum diameter chosen for dead wood, for example, 10 centimeters. 
lying dead in various states of decomposition above or within the mineral or organic soil. Soil organic matter. Soil organic matter includes organic carbon in mineral soils to a specified depth chosen by the country and applied consistently through the time series. Live and dead fine roots and dead organic matter within the soil that are less than the minimum diameter limit, suggested 2 millimeters, for roots and dead organic matter are included with soil organic matter where they cannot be distinguished from it empirically. Now let's explore some of these concepts further. Biomass Plant biomass, including above-ground and below-ground parts, is the main conduit for CO2 removal from the atmosphere. Large amounts of CO2 are transferred between the atmosphere and terrestrial ecosystems, primarily through photosynthesis and respiration. The uptake of CO2 through photosynthesis is referred to as a gross primary production, or GPP. About half of the GPP is respired by plants and returned to the atmosphere, with the remainder constituting net primary production, or NPP, which is the total production of biomass and dead organic matter in a year. Heterotrophic respiration is the decomposition of organic matter in litter, dead wood, and soils. Net primary production minus losses from heterotrophic respiration is equal to the net carbon stock change in an ecosystem and is referred to as net ecosystem production, or NEP. Net primary production is influenced by land use and management through a variety of anthropogenic actions, such as deforestation, afforestation, fertilization, irrigation, harvest, and species choice. For example, tree harvesting reduces biomass stocks on the land. However, harvested wood requires additional consideration because some of the carbon may be stored in wood products in use and in landfills for years to centuries. Thus, some of the carbon removed from the ecosystem is rapidly emitted to the atmosphere while some carbon is transferred to other stocks in which the emissions are delayed. In non-forest ecosystems, for example, cropland or grassland, Biomass is predominantly non-woody, perennial, and annual vegetation, which makes up a much smaller part of total ecosystem carbon stocks than in forest lands. The non-woody biomass turns over annually or within a few years, and hence net biomass carbon stocks may remain roughly constant, although stocks may diminish over time if land degradation is occurring. Land managers may use fire as a management tool in grasslands, and forests or wildfires may inadvertently burn through managed lands, particularly forest lands, leading to significant losses of biomass carbon. Fires not only return CO2 to the atmosphere through combustion of biomass, but also emit other greenhouse gases directly or indirectly. As dead organic matter is fragmented and decomposed, it is transformed into soil organic matter, or SOM. Soil organic matter includes a wide variety of materials that differ greatly in their residence time in soil. 
Some of this material is composed of labile compounds that are easily decomposed by microbial organisms, returning carbon to the atmosphere. Some of the soil organic carbon, however, is converted into recalcitrant compounds or bound in organic mineral complexes that are very slowly decomposed and thus can be retained in the soil for decades to centuries or more. Losses due to burning dead organic matter include emissions of CO2, N2O, CH4, NOx, NMVOC, and CO. In flooded conditions, such as wetland environments and paddy rice production, a significant fraction of the decomposing dead organic matter and soil organic matter is returned to the atmosphere as CH4, or methane. This can be a major source of emissions in countries with a considerable amount of land dedicated to paddy rice production or are flooded lands, such as reservoirs created by constructing dams or rivers, although virtually all flooded soils emit methane. Some soil management practices impact greenhouse gas emissions beyond simply changing the sea stock. For example, liming is used to reduce soil acidity and improve plant productivity, but it is also a direct source of CO2 emissions. Specifically, liming transfers carbon from the Earth's crust to the atmosphere by removing calcium carbonate, from limestone and dolomite deposits and applying it to soils where the carbonate ion evolves into CO2. Nitrogen additions are a common practice for increasing net primary production and crop yields, including application of synthetic nitrogen fertilizers and organic amendments, for example manure, particularly to cropland and grassland. This increase in soil nitrogen availability increases N2O emissions from soils as a byproduct of nitrification and denitrification. Nitrogen additions in dung and urine by grazing animals can also stimulate N2O emissions. Livestock Animal production systems, particularly those with ruminant animals, can be significant sources of greenhouse gas emissions. For example, enteric fermentation in the digestive systems of ruminants leads to production and emission of CH4, or methane. Management decisions about manure disposal and storage affect emissions of CH4 and N2O, which occur as a result from methanogenesis in decomposing manures and as a byproduct nitrification and denitrification. Furthermore, Volatilization, losses of NH3 and NOx, and losses of nitrogen and leaching and runoff from manure management systems and soils leads to indirect greenhouse gas emissions. The information that we've heard so far brings us to an understanding of the components that go into the steps in preparing inventory estimates. The following steps describe the compilation of the greenhouse gas inventory for the AFOLU sector. Number one, divide all land into managed and unmanaged. Number two, develop a national land classification system 
applicable to all six land use categories, forest land, cropland, grassland, wetlands, settlements, and other land, and further subdivide by climate, soil type, and or ecological regions appropriate for the country. Three, compile data on the area of land and the change in area of land in each land use category if available. Categorize land area by specific management systems defined for each land use category, which is based on combinations of management practices, for example, tillage and fertilizer management in croplands. This categorization provides the basis for assigning emission factors and stock change factors required for a particular estimation approach. Number four, compile national level statistics for livestock, manure management systems, soil nitrogen management, crop yields, biochar C in tier two and three only, liming and urea application. Five, estimate CO2 emissions and removals and non-CO2 emissions at the appropriate tier level in support of a key category analysis. A preliminary inventory is likely to utilize a Tier 1 or Tier 2 approach. However, it may be preferable to proceed with a Tier 3 approach if the methods that have been previously developed and the supporting activity and input data have been compiled. Number 6. Re-estimate CO2 emissions and removals and non-CO2 emissions if a higher tier is recommended, based on the key category analysis. Seven. Estimate uncertainties and complete quality analysis and quality control procedures. Eight, sum CO2 emissions and removals and non-CO2 emissions over the inventory period for each source category by land use and stratum, as well as emissions from livestock, manure, and nitrogen management. Nine, Transcribe summary information into reporting tables, converting carbon stock changes to emissions or removals of CO2 and entering non-CO2 greenhouse gas emissions by land use categories if available. Combine with any emission estimates that are based on national aggregate data to estimate the total emissions and removals for the AFOLU sector. Number 10. Document and archive all information used to produce an inventory, including activity and other input data, emission factors, sources of data, and metadata documentation, methods descriptions and model software or code, QA and QC procedures and reports, in addition to the results for each source category. Number 11, set priorities for future inventories in AFOLU sector based on completeness of current inventories, uncertainties, and issues arising during the QA and QC process. Revise key category analysis based on the newly completed inventory to aid in decisions regarding future priorities. After talking about greenhouse gas emissions in the AFOLU sector, we are now led to Volume 5, the last volume in this report that discusses waste generation, composition, and management data. General Guidance on the Data Collection for Solid Waste Disposal 
biological treatment and incineration, and open burning of waste is given in this chapter in order to ensure consistency across these waste categories. Solid waste generation is the common basis for activity data to estimate emissions from solid waste disposal, biological treatment, and incineration and open burning of waste. Solid waste generation rates and composition vary from country to country, depending on the economic situation, industrial structure, waste management regulations, and lifestyle. The availability and quality of data on solid waste generation as well as subsequent treatment also vary significantly from country to country. Statistics on waste generation and treatment have improved substantially in many countries during the last decade. But at present, only a small number of countries have comprehensive waste data covering all waste types and treatment techniques. Solid waste is generated from households, offices, shops, markets, restaurants, public institutions, industrial installations, waterworks and sewage facilities, construction and demolition sites, and agricultural activities. Solid waste management practices include collection, recycling, solid waste disposal on land, biological and other treatments, as well as incineration and open burning of waste. A more accurate but data-intensive approach to data collection is to follow the streams of waste from one treatment to another, taking into account the changes in composition and other parameters that affect emissions. Example of activity data collection for estimation of emissions from solid waste treatment based on waste stream analysis by waste type. Waste streams begin at the point of generation, flow through collection and transportation, separation for resource recovery, then treatment for volume reduction, detoxification, and stabilization, and then recycling and or energy recovery, and then terminate at the solid waste disposal site. Waste streams are country-specific. Traditionally, most solid waste has been disposed at solid waste disposal sites in many countries. Recent growing recognition of the need for resource conservation and environmental protection has increased soil waste recycling and treatment before disposal in developed countries. In developing countries, recovery of valuable material at collection, during transportation, and at solid waste disposal sites has been common. Degradable organic carbon, or DOC, is one of the main parameters affecting the CH4 emissions from solid waste disposal. Intermediate processes in the waste stream can significantly change physical and chemical properties of waste, including moisture and degradable organic carbon. Degradable organic carbon in waste at solid waste disposal sites will differ considerably from that at generation, depending on the treatment before the disposal. For those countries that do not have reliable data based on measurements of degradable organic carbon disposed at the solid waste disposal site, the analysis on the change in mass of moisture and degradable organic carbon during earlier treatment for each waste type could provide a method to avoid over or underestimating the CH4 emissions at the solid waste disposal site. What is municipal solid waste, or MSW? 
Waste composition is one of the main factors influencing emissions from solid waste treatment and is influenced by factors such as cultural norms, level of economic development, climate, and energy consumption, for example. In the municipal solid waste stream, waste can be classified into organic and inorganic components. Food waste, garden or yard and park waste, and wood are classified as organic waste, while paper, cardboard, textiles, nappies or diapers, leather, rubber, they all contain some fossil carbon. The different waste types contain different amounts of degradable organic carbon and fossil carbon. Waste compositions, as well as the classifications used to collect data on waste composition, varies widely in different regions and countries. In this volume, default data on waste composition and municipal solid wastes are provided for the following waste types. Number one, food waste. Number two, garden, yard, and park waste. Number three, paper and cardboard. Number four, wood. Number five, textiles. Number six, nappies or disposable diapers. Number seven, rubber and leather. Number eight, plastics. Number nine, metal. Number 10, glass and pottery in China. And number 11, other, for example, ash, dirt, dust, soil, electronic waste. Waste types number one through six contain most of the degradable organic carbon in municipal solid waste. Ash, dust, rubber, and leather contain also certain amounts of non-fossil carbon, but this is hardly degradable. Some textiles, plastics, including plastics and disposable nappies, rubber, and electronic waste contain the bulk part of fossil carbon in municipal solid waste. Paper with coatings and leather that's synthetic can also include small amounts of fossil carbon. The six waste measurements that create the most degradable organic carbon are as follows. The highest level of food waste is at 66.1% in Southern Asia, which is Bangladesh, India, Nepal, and Sri Lanka, with the lowest level in North America, which includes Canada and the United States at 20.1%. The highest waste percentage for paper and cardboard is in Central Asia, which includes Kazakhstan and Uzbekistan, with 24.7% waste. And the lowest is in Western Africa, Ghana, Mali, and Nigeria, with 7.5% waste. The greatest waste of wood comes from Australia and New Zealand with 6.5%, and the lowest in Eastern Africa, including Kenya, Mauritius, Tanzania, Zambia, and Zimbabwe with a half of percent. The largest textile waste comes from Western Europe, which includes the UK, Ireland, France, Germany, Luxembourg, Netherlands, and Switzerland, with 5.9% waste. And the lowest textile waste comes from Southeast Asia, with 0.4%. Lastly, the highest waste from diapers or nappies is 3.5% in Australia and New Zealand, and the lowest is 0.1% from Eastern Europe, including Bulgaria, Czechia, Hungary, Poland, Moldova, Romania, Ukraine, 
and the Russian Federation. Sludge. Sludge is a mixture of liquid and solid components that can be produced as sewage sludge from wastewater treatment processes or as a settled suspension obtained from conventional drinking water treatment or from numerous other industrial processes. Sludge from industrial processes is usually process-specific and it's good practice to obtain sludge composition data from producers. The composition of sludge needed for emission estimations includes measuring carbon content, nitrogen content, and degradable organic carbon of sludge. The carbon content and nitrogen content are results of ultimate analysis, quantifying carbon or nitrogen, disregarding the form or chemical compound in which they are present in sludge. The degradable organic carbon content in sludge will vary depending on the wastewater treatment method producing the sludge and be different for domestic and industrial sludge. Domestic sewage-treated sludge contains approximately 33% carbon, 4.2% nitrogen, and 30% degradable organic carbon. The food industry sludge containing fruits and vegetables has 44% carbon, 1.1% nitrogen, and 35% degradable organic carbon. The chemical industry sludge has a 52% measure of carbon. This last volume on waste generation, composition, and management data concludes our coverage of this 2019 IPCC Greenhouse Gas Refinement Report. Regular updates on the carbon inventories in our atmosphere, as well as other greenhouse gases, are key to understanding better the levels that we see now and the changes that they will foster in our climate. They also help us to better understand based on today's changes, what we can expect in the future if these levels and increased levels overall continue. We can all do our part to help reduce the man-made effects of climate change and reduce greenhouse gases. What is one thing that I can do today that will help the environment? Live in the climate you live in. In the Northern Hemisphere, many of us are experiencing some of the hottest days of summer. Yet there's only a week left of summer. The biggest residential demand on our energy system is climate control, home heating and cooling. We travel from our air-conditioned homes to our air-conditioned works and schools, then to our air-conditioned cars. Right now, there are times when we do need climate control to protect us from these soaring summer temperatures, and the same holds true during freezing temperatures in the winter. But, do we really need the atmosphere to be exactly 70 degrees everywhere we go, all year long? Let's try to use climate control only for the extremes. When temperatures are moderate, live in the climate we inhabit, and consume less energy in the process. Here are some summer best practices to reduce energy usage if you do need to combat temperature extremes. Number one, keep the AC lower at night. During the night, you don't require the same level of conscious cool. 
try turning your AC down so it's running less during your sleep hours. Or if your unit has one, utilize the sleep mode, which lowers the output on a timer. Number two, use window or portable units. If you aren't into cooling your whole home, try using a portable unit to cool just the area that you'll be working or living in. They use up to 50% less energy than a large central air unit would to cool off the same space. Number three, close off vents. The basement is traditionally the coolest room in the home, so try closing all the vents in the lower portion of your home. The cool air will slink down there naturally, and by closing those vents, you're forcing all the air up top first, cooling as it comes down. Number four, service your unit. Some basic maintenance might be all your air conditioner needs, but most will greatly benefit from a good hosing out, especially if you're plagued with pesky trees like cottonwoods that drop seeds which stick to the filters and make the unit work harder. Number five, check your ducts. Making sure the areas like the attic where your ducts may run through or parts of your home without air conditioning are properly insulated will keep the air coming in as cool as it can be. Paying for half-cool air isn't anyone's idea of money well spent. Number six, rearrange your furniture. Furniture that obstructs air conditioning vents means you could be cooling the back of a chair or the bottom side of your sofa. There are plastic pieces you can buy for your vents to help force air in the right direction. But the easiest way is just to rearrange your furniture, even if only temporarily. Number seven, try 78 degrees. 78 degrees Fahrenheit is a good point for an air conditioner to run at its optimal performance level. We all win when we use less energy and save a great deal of money as well. Thank you for listening to our Environment Today podcast, and we hope you found the information from this 2019 IPCC report useful. Please stay tuned in two weeks, where we will look at plastics and their use globally, their effects on the world we live in, and what we can do to help with reducing plastics' effect on our world and our climate. We look forward to sharing more then on the environment today.